welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. We're so glad you're here and I'm excited about something we're launching today. We're launching another season of United Prayer. We call it 100 Hours of Prayer. And uh, it's starting today, and I want to take just a moment, and I want to kind of talk about prayer before we get into the message. But, you know, how many of you know that if we want to get serious about God pouring his spirit out, God sending revival, we got to be people who pray? I mean, how many know that if we want to be people who want to see God move, not only in our life, but in our family and in our city, we have to be people who pray? You know, uh, there's a story in Acts 1 and 2. It is, it is literally, obviously the cornerstone, one of the cornerstone moments of the church. It's when the church was born, and it's a moment where there's evidence of the first prayer room, and it's in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It said, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Everyone say one place. They were together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So you got to imagine the Holy Spirit came, filled every corner, every crack, every space in that room, and, and, you know, when we pray, we're like often like, Lord, we want to be a house of prayer. We want to be a house of worship. We want you to fill this place. And this picture right here is just this inspiring picture of the Holy Spirit coming and filling the house with the wind of God, the Spirit of God. So it, they were together in one place, right? They were together in one place. And it's widely believed that that one place was called the upper room is what we know it as now. And right here at the beginning of what we call the church they were gathered in one room praying. And I've been saying it for years and I'm gonna keep saying it, but I believe that the church was born in a prayer room. The church started in a prayer room. That's where it came out of. And today we are starting another season of prayer together. We are launching 100 hours of prayer in the month of October. We wanna launch, or we wanna log 100 hours, if you will, in our prayer room. If you're new here, I'll explain it real quickly. But we gave you this card right here and this card's gonna help you a little bit on the back. It kind of shows you how to sign up for 100 hours of prayer. It has a little QR code on our website. It's the only place you can sign up. There's no signups in the lobby. Uh, but it also gives you what we call our revival prayers. These are the united prayers we've been praying for as a church since 2018. For five years we've been praying these things and we are seeing evidence of these things happen. But we pray more spirit and what we mean by that is we want more of your spirit in this place. We want you to pour out your spirit on your people. We want you to release gifts and power and all, all the things that only the spirit can do. We also pray for more salvations because we believe we gotta pray for people who need God. And so, Lord, would you, would you just bring a wave of, uh, of your love into, uh, into this community where people would, would experience the salvation and the rescue of Jesus in their life? And then we also pray, of course, more healing because we believe God wants to heal. It's normal in his kingdom to see physical healing, uh, emotional healing, spiritual healing, uh, all sorts of mental health healing, like we believe in it, we're seeing it. And so we say, Lord, would you do more? Just because we know that's a sign of your presence. And then we also say more breakthrough because some of us are coming up with hard things, right? Like, like my future, I don't know what it holds. Uh, I, I have this addiction, I can't seem to break. I have this sin that I can't seem to break. And we need God to break through something that we have realized we do not have the power to break through. And so we need God's power to do it. And so we've been praying these things because we believe when these things are happening, we are gonna see the evidence of the Lord pouring out his spirit, filling the whole house, right? Filling the whole house with his presence. So today we're launching uh, 100 hours of prayer and 
And, you know, we did this back in January, and we actually had about 160 hours of prayer. We've done 24-7 prayer. We've done all sorts of types of prayer. If you're new here, we just we go into seasons of prayer, not because we can't pray by ourselves or pray on our own. We hope you are, but we know that when we unite, God moves through unity. And so uh, our base goal is 100, but, I mean, I'm hoping, hoping that we sail past it. We did in January. We can do it again, uh, 150, 180, 200, 300 hours of prayer this month. And... Uh, you could show a little instructional video. We have a fun way, once you get in the prayer room, of how you can log this, because we're gonna, we're gonna march towards 100. And so there's little cards in there that say hour one or hour two or hour three. We did this before, and so just as a reminder, you, if you're in there, you'll see the hour ahead of you already, already hung on, on the little prayer install we have on the wall. So you'll take the next one, and you'll, maybe during your time of prayer, you have a, a word that God puts on your heart or a, a scripture that he uses or a prayer that you want to pray, and you can just write it on that card, and then you'll have a wall, a prayer wall, right, of encouragement and prayer. By the time we're into this, that'll be uh, a, just a declaration not only to our church and to one another that we need to be people of prayer, but a declaration to God that we, we are thankful and we serve you and we are for whatever you're for, God. And so uh, we want to encourage you to do that today. We want to encourage you to sign up. If you're hour two, you'll hang it. If you're hour 72, you'll hang it, whatever. And if you've never done this with us, I would say it's always a little daunting to hear someone say, hey, sign up for the prayer room. Pray for an hour. <laughs> it's like, that's a long time. I usually pray for a couple minutes. Well, we get it, and we, we have resources in there to help you, and it's just getting alone with God. And we call, you know, I believe prayer rooms are like boiler rooms, right? Like, it's, it's the heat source. It, there's, a, there's a fireplace in that room where, where we believe when we get close to that heat source, we're close to the presence of God. That's why we believe prayer rooms matter and, and why we call each other into this united effort. And I know it'll call many of us out of our comfort zone. But how many of you know that comfort will never be the motivation for prayer? Right? Scriptures are always calling us up and calling us into who God wants us to be. And I believe prayer does that. So this is an invitation to step into the river with us, so to speak. And so we're kicking the, wide, the door wide open for anybody who wants to be a part. So whatever the enemy's going to tell you today. The enemy's going to say, ah, this is for people that are, they've been around here a long time. I'm too new. The enemy's going to say, this isn't the way you pray. That's weird. This is, the enemy's going to say, uh, God doesn't answer your prayers. Uh, the enemy's going to say, they don't need you to get to 100. Uh, the enemy's going to say a lot of things, and I just want to say, forget whatever the enemy says. You know, uh, I, this church, we together are saying, uh, you need to sign up to pray. We need you. Prayers for everyone. And until we come together and pray as a church body, we'll never become who God has called us to become. So my friends, we today launch a vision that is bigger than just October. It is a vision that we have been chasing, uh, not only as a church for years, but I believe as believers since this moment in Acts 2. We are chasing the presence of God to fill this house. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray for us. Every, prayers for everyone. So let's, let's pray. Because everything begins and ends with Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, you would give us just inspiration today from your word. Show us who you are. But, Lord, I pray that this would be not only a house of prayer, but a house of worship in the name of Jesus. We ask you to do what only you can do today. So, Father, push back the boundaries of what is uh, what we see as normal, what we see as likely. And may we enter into the unlikely, the abnormal, and the things that only you can do today. We pray these things in your holy name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You, guys good to, you guys happy to be here today? Yes. yes. All right. Well, you can open up your Bibles to uh, 
1 Kings 19. We're going to be really in 1 Kings 18 and 19 today. And we are in week number four of a little series we've called Revival Hope. Everyone say Revival Hope. And today we are going to look at one of those most remarkable stories in the Bible. It's, it's, it's a story that will cause you to consider a lot of things, including the vision for your life and right on point today, what it means to have bold, consistent, and faithful prayer, right? And in 1 Kings 19, we read about a man who's kind of infamous. He is the infamous prophet Elijah. And Elijah is definitely one of the most interesting uh, figures in the Bible, and he was actually an important person in the Old Testament for a number of reasons. And we're going to look at possibly the most pivotal moment in his life today. And I want to begin with near the end of the story that we're looking at today, then we'll rewind. So you know when you're watching a movie and they show you the end scene or close to the end scene, and then a black screen comes up with text that says 10 years earlier or five years earlier or six weeks earlier? You guys know what I'm talking about? That's what we're doing today. We're starting at the end, then we're going to rewind the tape. So 1 Kings 19.9 says this. There he went into a cave, meaning he is in Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is a pretty profound question, isn't it? Like it's one of those questions like, yeah, in the moment there's a lot of ways to answer it. If I was going to ask you, what are you doing here today? There's a lot of layers to it. Like what are you doing here at church? You could probably answer it. What are you doing here in Oklahoma? Some of you can answer it. Some of you are like, I have no idea. Some of you are like, I mean, what are you doing in your job? What are you doing in life? What are you doing here? Seriously. This is going to be a question we explore. God asked Elijah this question at a pivotal moment, like I said. God knows exactly why he's in the cave. But he asked him anyway, what are you doing here? How many times, how many know that God is going to ask you, he's going to provoke things in you, even though he knows exactly what's going on in your life? The question of what are you doing here is where we're going to begin this journey today. Now we're going to back up. Like I said, we're rewinding the tape. It's about 45, 50 days earlier because there was a reason Elijah was hiding in a cave. And it's a long, crazy story, which makes sense because I don't know if you've ever hidden in a cave, but usually there's a reason, right? There's a reason you're in that cave. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize a lot of this story and just kind of storytell a little bit. And then I'll, I'll read actually from the word as well at different parts of the Bible. But we're going to go back to 1 Kings 18, starting in the beginning, and I'm just going to summarize a bit. But at the beginning of chapter 18, Elijah is told to go and meet the king of Israel, a man named Ahab. Everyone say Ahab. Ahab. Elijah, go to Ahab, the Lord, and tell him that the Lord is going to send rain. Now, this is important because Israel has been in a drought for three years. No rain, no moisture, no dew on the mountains. I mean, can you imagine no mountain dew, right? That is the world they're living in. Now, Ahab is the king, but he has a wife that's really in charge, which still feels sort of familiar, right? Like, I, I totally, totally can relate, right? And his kingdom is really more of a queendom. And, and here's the thing. I was thinking about that. And I was like, why, why do we not call them queendoms when it's a queen in charge? Like, England, they just had... Elizabeth for decades should have been called the United Kingdom. But that is besides the point of my message. I just thought it was an interesting thought. Do you guys agree? Yeah. Girl power. Okay, so, so Ahab's wife, before you girls get all excited, Ahab's wife name was Jezebel. Everyone say Jezebel. 
Yeah, the Jezebel, right? The first thing Jezebel tried to do with her husband was to convince her, her husband Ahab to abandon worshiping Yahweh. Once, I'm going to have you talk back to me a lot. Everybody say Yahweh. Yahweh. And instead of worshiping God, the, the God who had saved his people time and time again, uh, Ahab is led by his wife Jezebel to worship the so-called gods of Baal. We call those Baal gods little g's, right? So you can say, what up, little g? You have no power in this place, right? Now, Jezebel was not from Israel. She was a Phoenician, which is a neighboring country, kingdom, sometimes a queendom, clearly. And she wanted to do everything in her power to eliminate the notion of the God of Israel. She wanted nothing to do with Yahweh. She wanted nothing to do with the great I Am. She was done with them. She went as far as to commission a hunting party to go and kill any prophets of God. Now, what that means is any spiritual leaders in Israel, I want you to go kill them, slaughter them. She's killing prophets, and she's working to turn the entire nation of Israel against Yahweh God. And the reason she's doing this and how she's doing this is she's like, listen, you guys have been in a drought for three years. If God cared about you, don't you think he'd send rain? But clearly he doesn't care about you. And so the people are desperate. And so she turns their hearts away from God and they start to worship the Baals. She says, abandon him and come and worship my gods. So in other words, when things get tough, right, it must be God's fault. He must not be the answer anymore because my life isn't going right. If God loved us, he wouldn't have let, us, let that happen to us, right? If God cared, he would have stepped in. So the things that are happening in our world today have been happening for centuries. So believe it or not, we read these stories and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's sort of us. It's not Baals anymore, but it's abandonment. We abandon God in our time of need, in our time of struggle, so the people were easily swayed. Things aren't good. Things are a struggle. They abandon friendships, people, and most importantly, their faith. And they began to follow Jezebel and her false gods. Meanwhile, Elijah. Elijah is around, and he is considered to be really the greatest prophet in the land. And Ahab and Jezebel, what are they doing? They are killing prophets left and right. And while this killing spree is going on, God tells Elijah to go and meet with Ahab. Okay, God, great. This is perfect timing. So this took some courage, and he said, go and see, you know, the husband king of Jezebel. And we'll pick the story up in verse 16. Remember, he's going to tell him rain is coming, and the conversation, I'm picking it up in the middle, it says, Ahab went to meet with Elijah, because Elijah had shown up. And when Elijah, when he saw Elijah, he said to them, is that you? You troubler of Israel? He says, I've not made any trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Some people say Caramel. I'm a Carmel person. <laughs> and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Let me give you just a little context what that means. Asherah is considered to be the wife of Baal. So I want you to imagine most of us are more familiar with Greek mythology. Like, so you got Zeus, that's Baal. Zeus has a wife, that's Asherah. Does that make sense? And so there are prophets, if you will, uh, for these little G gods in Jezebel's, uh, under Jezebel's leadership. And they all, there's 850 of them. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If it's the Lord, 
If, if the Lord is God, well, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And I love this. And the people said nothing. All right? Just blank stares, right? Epic scene. Elijah's alone. He's setting up this showdown really between him and 850 prophets of Jezebel. And he stares at the people and point blank, he says to them, if the Lord is God, you should follow him. But if Baal is God, follow them. And again, blank stares. Again, I can relate. I, never mind. It feels strange and familiar. So imagine this scene. We have two teams. Two teams, right? There's one team, Team Yahweh, and the only one on that team is Elijah. Y'all with me? And then the other team is Team Jezebel, and there's 850 prophets, we'll call them posers, literally a bunch of wannabes who have no power, right? So 1 Kings 18 outlines the story of what happens, and I'll summarize. Elijah challenges Team Jezebel to a match. He says, why don't you build an altar to your so-called Baal God, and to place, and I want you to place a bull offering on that altar. This is, this is like, you know, we watch football, they... They do, like, sacrifices, right? So they put this bull offering on the altar and then ask the God to send down fire and consume your offering. Elijah said he would do the same, and they would see which God was really in, in, in charge here. So Team Jezebel builds an altar. They, then they start chanting, and they start shouting and asking their God to send down fire upon it, but nothing happens. And then in verse 26... It says that they danced around it, but nothing happens. Then in verse 27, I have this on screen for you. I want you to look at what Elijah does in verse 27. I love it. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Now, the idea of being busy is most people believe it to me. Maybe he's busy going to the bathroom. Maybe your god is doing some little paperwork. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah's funny, right? I like it. Like, dude's got chops. He's got some good one-liners. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until blood flowed. Dramatic, right? Jezebel, Team Jezebel, you need to calm yourself down. That's a little much. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Surprise, surprise, right? Little G's have no power, right? None. How many know that there's only one G that has power? <laughs> mm, capital G-O-D, right? I just had to do that. Sorry, that was bad. Sorry. It's all right. So Team Yahweh, Team Yahweh, consisting of Elijah, builds his altar, prepares his sacrifice. Then he does what I call an in-your-face move, like spike the ball on your forehead move. That's what he does. He builds a trench around the altar, fills it with water. Then he pours water all over the wood on the altar. Then he pours water again a second time all over the wood. Remember, they're going to have fire consume and, 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 and this, altar, or this sacrifice, and he pours water on it a third time. He's like, in your face move, about to come. Then verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Everyone say pray. pray. Mm, this is a bold prayer coming. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are, God, the, you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. He doesn't want any credit. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Come on, revival is coming, right? 
turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Everyone say fire fall. And burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench in your face. Spike on the forehead, right? And all the people saw this. They fell prostrate. They fell to the ground, and they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. How many know that when fire fall, when fire falls, people start to call, right? They start to call on the Lord. They start calling on him, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. In other words, if you've been with us a while, he's him. He's the man. Like, he's all that. Right? The great I am. Yahweh. Foom. Everyone fell. They fell prostrate before him. You could say it this way. When the fire of God falls from heaven, revival comes upon his people. This is why we say, hey, man, keep the fire burning. Lord, build the fire in our hearts. God's fire brings revival. And when fire falls. People will begin to call on the Lord. So what happens next in this story with Elijah is significant. Because that story alone, you're like, wow, blow your mind. But it really builds up to what's happening next. So he's thoroughly defeated 850 wannabes, right? The people turn their heart back to God. But remember, there is a drought. The story isn't over. At the end of chapter 18, Elijah begins to pray. Remember, that's where the whole story began. Hey, go to Ahab, tell him about to send some rain. This is my fave part of the story. The whole thing started because there was no rain. The people were desperate. How many know sometimes we got to be desperate? Elijah prays, 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 42. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount of uh, Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. In other words, he's praying. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked, and there was nothing there. And he said, okay. And he seven times, Elijah said, go back, go back, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported, hey, there's, this, there's a cloud as small as, the, as a man's hand rising from the sea. And meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The winds rose and a heavy rain started falling. So he prays, one time, no rain, two times, no rain, three times, no rain, four, five times, no rain, six times, no rain. And the seventh time, the seventh time, he finally sees a small rain cloud begin to form. I want to encourage someone today. I want you to hear me. Someone is going to pray this month. Someone is going to pray this month, and it's been years you've been in a financial struggle. You're going to pray this month, and you're thinking, man, it's time for me to give up. i got to tap out. But you're going to pray again, and God's going to send rain. I believe that. Someone in here is, is praying this month. You've been in a drought spiritually. You're like, I haven't seen God in months and in years. And you're going to pray again. And he's going to revive something in you. And you're going to come alive spiritually because he's going to send his rain on your heart. I believe it. Someone in this room, you're six years into depression. You've been praying nonstop. You've been praying over and over again, but you're going to pray one more time. And the seventh year is going to be different. I believe it. I want to encourage some of you today. You have to pray through. Everyone say pray through. Pray through. Sometimes we don't pray enough. We stop on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time. We're like, well, I prayed and nothing happened. You've got to keep praying. Rain's coming. We'll come back to Elijah in a minute because I need to talk about prayer for a moment. <laughs> When I was a kid, I had a dream. I had a dream. 
I had a dream of being, of being a big time basketball player, big time, like college, maybe pro. And I just want to stand here today and attribute my meteoric rise in ministry and my fallen athletics to my total lack of talent. Um, <laughs> the, tr I tr the truth is, I mean, I joke, I, I did have an adolescent dream though, for real. And, and as a result, I worked really hard at it. There was a time in my life when I, I, I literally was going to put time in every day. I had a log, a piece of, like a little book, a little journey, I was, a journal. I was going to shoot the basketball four hours a day. That's a lot. I was going to shoot the basketball. And if I ever didn't make four hours, I made it up the next day. So if I was two hours short, I'm working six hours the next day. And guess what? You know, you would think with all that practice, I would have been really good. No, thank you for like three people laughing at that. But I, here's the deal. I was high school good, and I would have been terrible. I would have been a nothing but a wannabe if I didn't work that hard. But persistence paid off, right? Like, and we get that about things we can control. Like, oh, I want to be good at basketball. Cause and effect. I'm going to work really hard. Oh, I want to get organized. Uh, cause and effect. I'm going, to, I'm going to learn how to be organized. I want to make good grades. I'm going to work harder than the person next to me to get where I want to get. But what do you do when something is out of your control? What do you do when you're like, you know what? No matter how hard I work, it doesn't seem to work. What do I do when no matter what I say to that person, they still won't hear me? What do you do when it's not just about logging hours? And here I am sitting here, we're launching 100 hours of prayer. Listen, 100 isn't enough. 100 isn't enough. There are things that only prayer can do and praying through will do. And so what I'm, when, when I say today for you, you know, with all that practice, you would have thought I would have been really good. Well, like I said, um, we all understand that persistence and commitment is going to pay off. The extra mile is going to pay off. So when we do something and we ask for something that's out of our control, what I hear most of the time is when I start to ask people about their life, something out of their control would be something like family brokenness that seems impossible to fix. Or perhaps, you know, a person that you can't seem to forgive in your heart no matter how many times you try. Or they don't seem to forgive you. Or what about when, someone's, when I say to someone, like, tell me about what's underneath the surface, what's under the hood of your life, what's going on. Usually there's a question around, I just don't know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I can't really figure out my future and feel at peace about it. I feel like I'm constantly wondering, like, what's next? So I'm trying to find my way. And what I'm seeing over and over again is that we are all searching. We're searching for something. So what do we do when we can't control the thing that we're searching for? This is why prayer matters. And similar to practicing basketball, I believe that persistence, commitment, and consistency do have an effect in prayer. It's just a different type of effect. It's not about the thing you control. It's about the thing you can't. It's about relenting control to our Heavenly Father, giving control where it belongs. So I'll give you a few examples. Like, if I, if I prayed right now, Lord, help me be a good husband. The Lord heard me. Do I need to pray it again? Surely he has good memory. Surely I don't need to keep praying the same prayer over and over again. God heard me. It's disrespectful to act like I have to pray it again. How many know that God wants to hear the cry of my heart? Lord, make me a good husband should be the cry of my heart. Make me a good father. Lord, I pray for my children, build up passion in them. Every parent, that should be the cry of your heart over and over again. Lord, help, help my, you know, move in me as I, as I try and love my neighbors. Lord, I pray for this church that, Lord, you would do something that we would not only be astonished by that, Lord, you would put a heart in us to serve one another, serve our city. 
Would you give us a, would you, would you lead us down the path of our future? Like that should be a cry of our hearts, right? The truth is, though, we don't often pray big enough or bold enough or consistent enough. We don't pray long enough or hard enough. We pray weak, vague prayers, hoping God will break through and provide well beyond what we even asked. I like what Mark Batterson says in his book, The Circle Maker, about prayer. Great book. He says, God doesn't answer prayers that aren't prayed. <laughs> a lot of times it's like we have a lot of wishes in our head, but we don't ever really pray about it. And if we pray about it once, we think he heard us. But here's the deal. He doesn't want to just hear it once. He wants to hear the cry of your heart. He goes on his book, and he says this about prayer. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He's offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. Don't ask him for things that you can do. Ask him for things that only he can do. This is, this is nothing God loves. There's nothing God loves more than keeping promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, fulfilling dreams. This is who he is. This is what he does. Prayers off, prayer often looks like an exercise in foolishness, but that's faith. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. <laughs> so when people tell me about dissatisfaction in life, this need for certainty about the future, I'll often ask him, well, how, you know, how are you praying for it? And what we find and what I find is oftentimes there's no significant time really spent on their knees. I mean, if they get really, I mean, we've wished a lot, we've worried a lot, we've stressed a lot, but we haven't prayed a lot. We can't worry our way into our future. We can only pray our way into it. God works through big, bold, and consistent praying. I know in our life, Christy and I have learned this over and over again, that deep, consistent prayer is where God likes to move on our behalf. And to be honest, it's crazy how easy it is to forget that. I slip back into survival mode all the time instead of revival hope. Do you remember Mark 10, whenever Jesus asked Bartimaeus, he asked him that great question I bring up often. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't ask, what do you think the crowd wants you to do? Get this, he didn't even tell him what he thinks he should do. Jesus didn't say, hey, I got a plan for you, Bartimaeus. He asked him, Bartimaeus, what do you want? Why did he ask him that? Because God always wants to hear the cry of our heart. So back to Elijah. He prays for rain. He prays through, and it starts pouring rain. And then the next chapter, chapter 19, he go, Ahab goes to tell Jezebel what Elijah has done. He's like, uh, probably really gingerly walks in the room and says, uh, wifey, <laughs> the 850 prophets you sent, they just lost, like got slaughtered. And um, also, it's raining. <laughs> Elijah prayed for rain and it's pouring down rain. Your plan is failing, you're losing. And Jezebel is not happy about this. So in verse two, it says this. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Now she's referring to the 850 prophets who are literally dead now, by the way. We didn't read that detail, but it happened. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Which as a reader, I'm like, what? Why are you running? You just went toe-to-toe -to -toe with 850 prophets and told them that their God is going to the bathroom. <laughs> what are you doing? You just prayed for rain and God sent rain. Why are you running, Elijah? Elijah runs for 40 days, he runs. And eventually he ends up at a cave on a different mountain, 
called Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai, which is where Moses, of course, met the Lord. Now, this is not close to Mount Carmel, 300 miles away, which is forever in the ancient world, right? 300 miles away. And in this moment, he pleads with God, take my life. I'm done. I'm spent. I can't do anymore. This is where he's at. Strange, isn't it? He has seen God do so much. He's been a part of God's goodness and power. Yet he's there in this moment and he's lost hope. He's alone again. He's afraid. He doesn't want to keep trying. As crazy as this story is, how many people have actually had the same story happen in their life? God met you. God saved you. He provided for you. He helped you. He pulled you out of the pit. Then disappointment hits you in the face and you're back on the mat. I don't, I'm not sure if I want to keep trying. God, where are you at, God? So Elijah's on the mountain, right in this mountain, and God speaks to him, and he asks him the question we started with. Remember, it's been 45 days. We're back to the scene we started with. Chapter 19, verse 9, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Can you imagine the power of that question? It's not just a question. It's a statement, isn't it? Is this where you ought to be? Is this what I had for you? You were supposed to run here? What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responds to the question and says to God in 1 Kings verse 19, verse 10, he says, I have been, so he's answering the question, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put, you the prophets, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. That's why I'm here. In other words, God, I've been doing it all. And you haven't showed up for me. You haven't showed up for me. I'm still alone. I don't understand why I am the one left doing the work. Why am I all alone in this, God? Why is my life being threatened? Why are my friends losing their life over this? And the Lord asked them again. He has this big excuse. A couple verses later, verse 13. He went, Elijah went and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him for the second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? For a second time, Elijah, what are you doing here? It's a statement. You know this is not where you're supposed to be, Elijah. Some of you, you know where you are in life right now is not where you're supposed to be. What are you doing here? You aren't where you're supposed to be. God is asking Elijah about his purpose. He says, I've created you for something and this is not it. So many people can't really answer the question, what are you doing here? You know why they can't answer it? They can't answer the question when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You know why they can't answer it? Because they haven't spent enough time in prayer to actually discern what God wants for them. And so we're like, I don't know what God wants for me, and I don't know where I'm supposed to be. But listen, the only way you understand God's plan for you is when you spend time with him. And so what are you doing here comes from a place of prayer where you can answer confidently, I am doing everything I'm made to be, and I know this because I prayed, and I prayed, I prayed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, and the Lord sent rain. God is asking Elijah about his purpose, and Elijah answers this question with excuses and problems, doesn't he? Essentially blaming God. God, I'm here because you haven't done enough. 
And don't you know God was like, really, Elijah? I brought down fire from heaven when you prayed. Really, Elijah? When you prayed for rain, I heard you and I sent rain after three and a half years of a drought. Really, Elijah? The enemy came after you with all of their might, 850 to 1, and you stood toe-to-toe and won because of my power. Really, Elijah? Are you sure you're the only one left? Because it sure feels like, this is God speaking, I've been with you the whole time. Sometimes we only know how to give excuses about where we are. You know, I'm here because, and all these things are real, so I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers, but it, I know this is true. I'm here because my parents hurt me or that person hurt me. I'm here because I made some bad choices and, you know, that's just the way it is now. I'm here because I didn't go to college or I'm here because I did go to college. I'm here because I married her or married him and I didn't want to and here I am. I'm here because they held me back or those people over there, they were never for me. I'm here because I've never had any money like all those other people. I'm here because no one ever helped me. Some of you are like, I'm here because I want to be here. And listen, the question, what are you doing here, isn't asking you to explain every challenging circumstance that you've had in life as real and justified as they are. It's intended to provoke reminders about every powerful way God has met you in your struggle. What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. I've met you before. I've shown you before. I've, I've provided before. I've done the miracle before. Don't you remember what I've done for you? I'm the same God today as I was yesterday, and I'll be the same God in the future. Like, you, you, don't you understand? Like, what are you doing here? Get back to what I've called you to do. The story of Elijah is the story of our lives. God moves miraculously one moment, answers prayers that we can't even imagine, and the next we're down on the mat wanting to tap out because we can't see a way forward. And I just want to ask you some questions we've been, we've been exploring the last few weeks. What are you doing in this moment in the cave? What are you doing in the cave? What are you doing on the mat? What are you doing in the shadows? What are you doing in the shade of the tree? Saul, what are you doing there? What are you doing wandering in the wilderness? What are you doing living in fear? What are you doing on the run for 40 days? What are you doing? Sure, maybe God's not done it yet, but just remember God's not done yet. God's not done with you. He's got more for you. Quit hiding in the cave of your problems and get back to who God's made you to be. It's time to say today is the end of droughts. You all with me? It's time to say today is the end of droughts. Today is the end of the enemy's hold over me. That's what you need to say. Today is the end of the enemy's threats against me. Jezebel's threats, right? Today is the end, for some of you, of loneliness. Today is the end of excuses for why you are where you are. It's time to start praying boldly and consistently. So you can walk and work knowing exactly what you're doing here. God wants, you, God wants to hear the cry of your heart. He wants to hear it again and again. You might have to pray it one, two, three, five, seven, 20 times. It's time to start praying. See, Elijah's prayer, what did he pray for? When we think about what he prayed for, he prayed, Lord, send your fire down from heaven. <laughs> we need to pray, Lord, send your fire. And Elijah's second prayer is, Lord, send your rain. Fire and water? What? How does that make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. But God never got, it's, it's an exercise in foolishness. 
faith. Lord, I need your fire, but I also need your rain. I need you to replenish my soul that's dry, but I need the power of your fire at the same time. Maybe for you, it's literally walking around your house every day praying for your family. I know I talked to someone this week that's doing that. Maybe for you, it's literally praying every day for the same thing because it's like, hey, this is all I think about and I need God to break through. Okay, do it. Maybe it's getting in the prayer room because like I said, it's a boiler room. You need to get close to the heat source. I'll end with this verse. 1 Kings 19, verse 15. So God asked him that question twice. God, or Elijah, what are you doing here? He, he answered both times with the same excuses. I'm all alone in this. And then the Lord answered him with this. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. Some of you need to hear this. Go back the way you came. Elijah had just come from a place of prayer. Forty days earlier, he was praying for the fire of God and the rain of God to be sent and to heal the land. In other words, go back to who I made you to be. You know who you're made to be. Go back to the way I made you to be. Return to the place of prayer. Return to the place of the impossible. Return to the place where nothing is too hard for your God. Return to that place because I have sent you there and I want you to receive your purpose for me in that place, not in your fear, not in the cave. I have a different purpose for you and it's found in prayer. It's found in believing for the impossible. It's found in putting your faith stretched to the limits. That's where it's found. My purpose for you is found in a place that you can't explain and you don't know how you're gonna actually get forward in, in the dream that you have or in the hope that you have in Christ. You don't know how you get there, but that's where he, that's where he reveals his purpose to you. Out of the cave and into your calling. Everyone say, out of the cave. Look at the person next to you and say, and into your calling. You see, God has more. I've been praying for hope to rise up in this place. I hope, I pray and hope is rising up in you right now. Out of the cave and into your calling. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Seriously, what are you doing? Let's keep asking it because it's not me asking, it's the word of the Lord, Right? straight from his word asking you, what are you doing here? I got something more for you. God has more. It's time to pray. It's time to start praying and keep praying. It's time to start seeking and keep seeking. It's time to start praising and keep praising. A house of prayer, a house of worship, a house of healing, a house of miracles where God's spirit fills the house. Are you all with me? Let's go. Everybody say, let's go. Would you stand? We're going to pray. Stand up. We're going to pray. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to move as, he, as only he can. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you move in this place? <coughs> Lord, you have a plan today for each and every person in this room. Lord, would you uh, provoke? And Lord, would we be people who don't withdraw during this time, but that we would respond to what you have? Lord, we know that revival in our own lives, revival within our own hearts, it begins with a true, authentic response to you moving in our heart. You speak, we listen, we respond. So, Lord, I pray that this is a time of response as we worship, as we pray, that, God, this is a time in which we would just say, Father, do what you want. Your will be done. I pray for each and every person in this room. God, meet them where they are. You always do that. You're so kind. You're so generous. You're so loving. I want you to hear that today. God sees you. God loves you. He loves you right as you are. And God has you. Holy Spirit, would you move in this time? 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to worship, and as we worship, it's a time of response. Our prayer team will be up here. I think some in the back as well. If you need prayer with a prayer team member, like, that's what they're here for. We're going to lift up prayers and just trust the Lord with what he's doing in your life. But I want to encourage you today. Respond to what he's doing in your heart through worship and through prayer as we give him this time. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.